Welcome to IVF Tales, a podcast hoping to make the world of fertility treatment less lonely. We want to start conversations about different fertility journeys to empower your decisions and build a community that understands. Each week we will speak to someone whose journey to having a child has taken a little bit more than a few vodka cruises. We are your hosts, Tiffany and Amy. Today's episode, we're speaking to Megan, who um, tried for a number of years with her husband Nick to fall pregnant. Um, they had some resistance from their GP to refer them for testing or to a fertility specialist. Um, it ended up being male factor infertility in their case, um, and they were given some incorrect information from her husband's GP regarding his results. Um, this episode's a little bit different because Tiff isn't actually here, so she's phoning in, as you can hear it. Um, so I feel like it's a bit shaky, but I'm sure it's going to be fine. Um, and so Megan also talks about um, her suffering from over... What is it again, Tiff? Ovarian, ovarian hyperstimulation syndrome. Syndrome. And her husband also needed um, a sperm biopsy um, to retrieve enough good sperm to fertilise her eggs. Um, yeah, and she also talks yeah. about her miscarriage, hey? Yeah, yeah, and then her successful pregnancy as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, her story is really interesting too because she was working in childcare and, you know, she talks about how that sort of felt working in childcare while... Um, going through fertility treatment. Yeah, which I thought was an interesting perspective and something I've sort of wondered about in the past as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, also, what else does she talk about? She talks about, there was another point as well. Oh, so like um, how IVF impacted, you know, her pregnancy and uh, postpartum periods as well. So we do talk quite a bit about that. So if you're feeling a little bit sensitive this week um, about pregnancy or anything like that, maybe today's episode isn't for you, um, just to be pre-warned. But yeah, overall, yeah. a really interesting podcast. What Would you say that too? Yeah, I really enjoyed our chat with Megan. Mm. She's really lovely. Awesome. Well, we hope you enjoyed today's episode. Thanks for joining us today on IVF Tales, Megan. No worries. All right. Um, Do you want to just give us a quick rundown about who you are, where you're located, and who's in your family? Yep. So um, I'm located in Melbourne, um, and I am married to Nick, and we have a 10-month-old, a daughter. Her name is Serenity. Um, and yeah, basically I was working in childcare and retail before being a mum and now I'm just enjoying being a (laughs) (laughs) mum. That's nice. Bit of a change of pace, isn't it? From changing, from working and then being a mum. Absolutely. It's a huge, um, adjustment, but, uh, it's something we always spoke about and had planned that, um, I'm fortunate enough to be able to stay home. That's good. Yeah, especially in these current times, which is so so tumultuous and odd at the moment, I think. Yes, it's very um, unpredictable and, yeah, a little bit crazy at the moment. Yeah, so that's, yeah to say the least, I think. Um, 
Yeah. Do you want to get us started with your fertility story, just starting from the beginning? Uh, yeah, sure. So we um, basically decided at the end of 2011 that we weren't going to, um, like, protect ourselves or anything like that. We're just going to keep trying naturally and see how we go. Um, we have family that fall pregnant quite easily and then we have family that have struggled. So we didn't know which end of the spectrum we would sort of be on. I guess we always all hope that we're, you know, the ones that it's really easy for and it just happens and, you know, that would be great. Um, so that was at the end of 2001 when we decided that and we tried naturally for six years. Um, in that six years, there was a lot of GP appointments of me obviously going and saying, like, why is this working? I don't understand. Um, I started when I was 21 and I'm like, I'm quite young. This should be happening. My husband's only um, six years older than me. So, you know, this should be, this should be happening. Um, but they basically just kept saying to us that just to allow time, you're young, it'll happen when it happens. Um, just that sort of same old, same old that I hear from a lot of people. Just it, it'll happen. Just relax. Um, so yeah, they sort of fobbed it off to a degree. And I probably went back two or three times to the original GP and just asked, you know, is there anything else we can do testing wise? I didn't know a lot about what they could sort of look for, but I'm like, I knew. Could I at least get an ultrasound to see everything was okay? Could I get blood tests done? And they pushed it off and pushed it off until finally I basically went in there and I didn't ask. I sort of told them that this is what I want done. Um, I want an ultrasound done and I want blood done. And that was probably after five years or four years of, of just waiting for it to happen. Um, so everything came back fine with me. Ultrasound was fine. They basically in the report said that um, everything was perfect. There's no reason why I shouldn't be falling pregnant. And my blood test levels, same thing. All minerals, vitamins came back all good. Um, all your iron levels, all you know, thyroid, everything came back fine. Hormone levels fine. And I'm like, well, this makes no sense. Um, and this, I went to a different doctor when I got the results because I just wanted a different lot of like a perspective, a different perspective of what was going on. Um, and so when I spoke to her, she said, well, if there's nothing on your phone, maybe it's on your husband's side of things. So um, I obviously, I had no idea. I'm like, well, what's involved there? Like, does he have to get blood done? I've got no idea. <laughs> um, and they said he needs to be the sample. So then it took probably oh, eight to ten months to talk him around to, please, can you go and do this? And, you know, I know it's not great, but I need you to do this to see what we're working with. Um, and he eventually went and did it, and he, I had to work the day he got his results back from the GP, so he went by himself, and I said to him, look, just get a copy of the results, because I want to start collecting all these results, so if we have to go further, we've got some more, and he said, yeah, sure, no worries, and when he came home, and I came home from work, he was really pleased, and he said to me, oh, there's nothing wrong with me, they say that all the levels are great, we should be able to get pregnant. And I'm like, oh, fantastic. Like, what a weight lifted off. Um, and I'd done a little bit of research. Um, so I knew that we needed like 15 to 20 million sperm to sort of have a chance naturally. Um, and I knew like motility was important and things like that. 
and that was probably the basis of it. Um, and then I said, well, can I have a look at the results then? And he passed me the results and his count was 800,000. Wow. Um, <laughs> and his GP had said everything was fine and his motility was 2%. Oh. Um, so I basically said to him, I burst into tears and he couldn't understand why I was because he's just been told everything's fine, we're all good. Um, and I burst into tears and I said to him, these are not normal numbers. These are IVF numbers for sure. Like not a doubt in my mind. Um, and he obviously was trying to be positive. He was like, you know, you don't know that. Let's just see, um, you know, what happens. Maybe we can try a bit longer. And I was like, no, I'm, I'm going to start looking to a fertility specialist and then they can tell us what they think. Um, so basically that's what I did. I went forward and basically did as much research as I could on local fertility specialists. Um, and so, you know, going and having a look at reviews online. I had a friend at the time that was also doing IVF. So once I narrowed it down to two that I liked, I asked her her opinions. And funnily enough, one of them was her doctor. Um, so I basically went with that fertility specialist and we've never looked back. She's been fantastic. Mm-hmm. So what did this um, fertility specialist say when you talked about your husband's sperm results and sort of the GP telling him that everything was okay? Um, well, he sort of had a chuckle and was like, you know, GPs being, you know, sort of a basis of what they need to know. Um, but he was very glad that we had come and seen him and he basically said to us, IUI was not an option, Clomid like, was not an option. Um, he goes, look, for you guys, IVF, the basic IVF is not an option. He goes, you need to go straight to ICSI. Mm-hmm. Um, he goes, I don't want to waste your time. I don't want to waste your money. Um and I want you guys to have a baby and I want to get you guys that, but we're going to have to do it because we're not going to stuff around, basically. Mm-hmm. And how did you feel hearing that? Was that a bit of a relief to finally have an answer and, and to know that, you know, wasn't just you, you know, you know, maybe, yeah, basically, how how did you feel? <laughs> yeah, it was, it was a relief because I was like, finally, like, we have answers. Like, it's now, by the time we saw him, it had been seven years. Or I think six and a half or something, and I was like, we finally have answers after all these years of why it hasn't worked. I also felt almost disappointed in myself that I had this strong feeling for so long that something wasn't right, mm-hmm. and I just kept pushing it back and pushing it back, and I was just like, why didn't you fight harder? Why didn't you push harder? Like, you could have been dealing with this years ago. Um but I didn't know. Like, there's just not a lot of information out there unless you know someone who's doing it. Um, and, you know, and once you're in the world, you realise, oh, there is information. There's information on all these websites and whatnot. But until you're into that, you've got no idea. So I felt relieved in one sense, but also disappointed that, okay, we've waited this moment, you know, God knows how long it's going to take this whole roller coaster ride that I knew was ahead of us. I think it's really hard um, to sort of, you know, in hindsight to put that pressure on yourself to expect that you should should know and you rely on mm. your medical professionals to guide you through that and, you know, you're not the first person that we've spoken to that's had to fight 
their GP for a referral. And that seems to be a bit of a commonality that we're seeing the more we interview uh, people about their fertility journeys, just even getting it started is difficult. But once they get there, you know, they sort of hit the ground running, but it's just that that initial referral that they need is just hard to come by sometimes. Absolutely. Um, they seem very hesitant to even um, yeah, give you the referral to, you know, get the ultrasound done or the testing done or even to the fertility specialist. You know, I went in with his name and, you know, this is the referral I want, this is the doctor I want it made out to. And basically, yeah, I felt like I had to turn into almost this demanding patient um, just to get the help that we needed. And then once we saw him, um, he was like fantastic about it. And he even said to us, you know, being a fertility specialist does not mean you have to do IUI or IVF. There are other options if we can do them. Um, so I think too, like my thing was, I thought being a fertility specialist meant you have to do IVF because I had no idea. Mm-hmm. Or you had to do IUI. Um, and, yeah, so it was good when he explained that too, that you can just go see a fertility specialist just to get help and, you know, ideas on what to do if, if all the levels and everything are looking okay. Um, just more support that maybe the GPs aren't trained in. Yeah, I think I know, like, my clinic that I go to, um, they host information nights on how to fall pregnant. Um, yep. So I think you make a really good point there that uh, fertility specialists aren't just, you know, IVF or ICSI specialists or anything like that. They are also people who, yeah, can help guide you to falling pregnant if you kind of just don't really know where to start as well. Yeah, exactly. Lovely. So when did you start your first round? Uh, so we did um, the first round at the beginning of January two thousand and. 18. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I had my egg collection done uh, in the middle of January 2018. Yep. Um, so we used, um, it was called the Pill Boost Protocol. Mm-hmm. Um, so it had to be timed because my clinic only runs at certain times. Um, so I had to go on the pill to sort of time everything perfectly. And then, of course, I had to do the injection. So we used um, Gomeles, mm-hmm. um, and he put me on a medium dose of that because obviously they don't want to do too little um, and under-stimulate you, but they don't want to give you too much either and over-stimulate you. Um, so I was on Gomeles, I was on the Cinerel spray mm-hmm. twice a day, um, and basically, yeah, we did the egg collection. Um, my husband, uh, he had to, he couldn't give his sample in a cup. Um, he had to go under okay. and get a biopsy done because uh, they were not confident that a sample would um, provide enough um, for them to pick through and fertilise the eggs they were going to get from me. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they wanted to get a biopsy like sample done so then they could go through the tissue apparently where the sperm hide and basically go through there and find as many good ones as they could to um, fertilise my eggs. Okay. I think this is the first time we've actually heard this on the podcast, so that's really um, interesting. How did he feel about doing that? Uh, he was um, honestly terrified because he's never had um, to stay in a hospital. He's never had to go under general for anything. 
Um, but of course, there was that apprehension there because he, it's just the unknown. He had no idea what what he was going to wake up like. You know, was he going to be groggy? Was he going to be sick? Was he going to be absolutely fine? Like, he was very apprehensive and nervous about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but afterwards, he just kept going on about how easy it was and didn't even feel like it was that long. And um, yeah, he had a pretty good experience with it in the end. That's so good. So did he, he obviously went under at the same time that you did with your egg collection or was he sort of able to? So they took him, so they took him first. Okay, yep. Yep. Um, They they took him first and they did what they had to do there and um, basically um, they took him to recovery and I got to see him when he was wheeled out of recovery and we sort of had a quick, <laughs> quick chat while he was still high as a kite, which was interesting. <laughs> um, you know, saying things like "Let's make a baby." <laughs> um, so yeah, they brought him out, and then basically I was taken in very soon after that. Probably within ten minutes of him coming out and speaking to me, they took me through to do my collection. Mm-hmm. And how did that go for you? Uh, so really good. Um, I already knew from the scan previous, I had a lot of follicles. Mm-hmm. Um, I had 26 on one side and 23 on the other. Mm-hmm. And how were you feeling um, physically? Like were you quite bloated with that or did you not really notice anything? The day of the trigger, so I did my trigger late, late on a Saturday night and on the Saturday I was at my parents' place and I was very uncomfortable, but that was probably the only day I was very uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, and basically, yeah, I did that trigger shot and then the collection was done on the Monday. So I was uncomfortable probably from the Saturday to the Monday when the collection was done. Okay. Yep. So basically, um, so you had, how many did you have on each side again? Sorry, Megan. Uh, it was like 26 on one side and 23 on the other. Okay, yeah. So you went under and how many, did they actually collect that many eggs? Uh, no, so they collected 17. Okay, and um, what were the results from that? Were they all ready to be fertilised? Were they mature enough? Um, how did they go? Yep, so all 17 were mature enough. They managed to find 17 um, good swimmers from my husband. Mm-hmm. So they injected all 17. Um, and out of the 17, seven fertilised, and then we had four to freeze because we ended up doing a freeze all mm-hmm. because they were worried about um, ovarian hyperstimulation. Yeah. Okay. Um, so did you end up suffering from ovarian hyperstimulation or OHSS? Uh, yes, I did. Yeah. Yeah. So um, we, had the tra- we had the eclipse done on the Monday, and I actually had a friend who had a baby that week, so I was, went to the hospital twice to go see her mm-hmm. and the new baby. Um, and by the Thursday, I was uncomfortable, just, but just put it down to that it was the collection. I'd never done this before. I just thought that this was normal. I wasn't doubling over in pain or anything like that. I was just uncomfortable. Um, but on the Friday evening, I started being sick and um, I just was in so much pain. I had, weirdly enough, I had pain up in my shoulder, um, pain in my abdomen, like, so we ended up calling an ambulance because um, I couldn't breathe. <laughs> yeah. 
Okay. Uh, yeah, so the ambulance came and basically checked me over and um, I basically, because I had to get used to fighting for myself, I basically said to the ambulance, I know what this is. I'm pretty sure I've been warned about it. Um, I think it's you know, this OHSS and they had no idea what it was. Mm-hmm. Um, and basically the two ambulance were fantastic. They were like, what is it? Do you have any information on it? Like, they basically were talking to me, asking me all about it. Um, and, yeah, even uh, in the trip into the hospital, um, the guy, Ambro, I had the back, he was very good. He was asking me all these questions about it still getting further clarification. When he took me into the hospital, he basically told them, you know, we're pretty sure this is what's happening. Um and basically, because I wasn't urgent, they then put me into the emergency room at the hospital, and I sat there for eight and a half hours and waited to be seen. Oh my goodness! Um, I was very lucky to have my husband and my parents with me. I honestly thought, because it was probably midnight by the time we got there, about six a.m. I felt really bad. I honestly thought I was dying. Um, I couldn't lift my head to speak to my mum and I just felt so awful, like nothing I've ever felt in my life. It was horrible. Did they not call you a fertility specialist? No. So I gave all his details to them. Um, Obviously the clinic name that I was going through, I gave them all the details at the hospital and basically the only thing they did in that eight hours was take um, a blood test. That was it. Um, I had to keep asking for things like medication for heartburn because I was having very bad heartburn with it as well to the point it was really making me sick. Um, and I had to keep asking for medication for that. Um, then in the end, I just ended up just going milk because that was helping with the heartburn. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, the rest of the time I was like basically passed out in the chair just waiting, waiting, waiting. And when they finally took me through and I told doctors again, I'm pretty sure this is what it is, they decided to do a scan. And when they did the scan, um, they were actually horrified as to how much fluid was in my abdomen. Um, and the, the doctor actually said, like, your organs are floating in fluid. Yeah. Um, and there's fluid up into your lungs as well. Yeah. Because isn't OHSS, um, and, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't it where your body holds fluid in between the cells? Uh, It's something like that. Like all the, what I got told was basically there's fluid within the follicles Mm -hmm. and normally your body would just absorb that. Mm -hmm. But when there's a mass amount of follicles like what I had, your body doesn't have time to absorb that fluid, so it has to go somewhere. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and the hormone, like HCG, makes it worse. So that's why that makes more fluid. So that's why they don't do transfers in case you fall pregnant. And then you would have HCG levels, which would make the fluid levels worse. Mm-hmm. Um, they also, if they think you're at risk of it before you do your trigger shot, your trigger shot really should be one that doesn't contain HCG. Mine contained HCG. Mm-hmm. So. Um, obviously not the best choice. Um, the dose was halved, but obviously I probably should have had one with none in it. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the end of the day, it could have still happened even with one, mm-hmm. with, with me having one that didn't have any in it because I had so many follicles. Did, 
Did you have polycystic ovaries before you started this as well? No. Okay. Um, so how long did it take you to recover? What was the process after they did the scan? Like how did they treat you at the hospital? Uh, so basically it, when you, I got admitted obviously because um, I was still struggling to breathe. I was in hospital for eight days um, and basically when you're in there, what they're measuring is your input and your output to how much liquid you're having as to how much is coming out. So they measure both all day, every day. Um, and they also do, uh, they measure around your stomach to measure like the bloat to make sure it's going down and not going up. Mm-hmm. Uh, they weigh you every single morning. They do blood tests every single morning uh, to make sure like livers and kidneys and everything are functioning and managing okay. Um, if your body doesn't start to get rid of the fluid itself, uh, you do have to have draining tubes put in to assist with that. Mm-hmm. Um, I was fortunate that my body sort of took over and drained it itself and we just monitored, yeah, how much liquid I was having and how much liquid was coming out and the results were that it was getting lower and lower and lower and lower. So thankfully my body did a good job in that situation so I didn't have to have those tubes put in. Um, So how were you feeling sort of once your body started to release all the fluid, did you start to feel better or did you sort of feel worse and then get better after that? I feel like a couple of days into the stay, I was feeling really, really horrible. I was just feeling almost like just hot flushes and just really lethargic and unwell. Um, my breathing got a lot better, which was great. <laughs> Um, and so it did get sort of worse, but then gradually I could feel that it was getting better um, as well. So it was just a process. It was basically sit and wait. Um, and again, I asked them a few times to inform my fertility specialist mm-hmm. that I was in here. Um, obviously gave his name again, gave all his details again. Um, they had fact sheets about what I had printed out and put into my file. So when the nurses did their changeover, they could read up on it because they hadn't had a lot of people in with it. Wow. Um, they were asking me, like obviously when the nurses were coming and doing my blood test because I'm not the easiest person to get blood out of, so it takes a bit. Um, they would talk to me and ask me about, you know, what I knew about this. And um, there just didn't seem to be enough education around that. Mm-hmm. I wonder how common it is for women to you know, go through something like that because I know like I was definitely at risk of it. Um, so yeah. my fertility specialist put me in a low, on a low dosage. Um, I'd say, Tiff, you would have been at risk of it too. Yeah, so I had a trigger that had no HCG um, because they were worried about it as well. Yeah, and, I mean, you got quite a few eggs on your second round, so um, mm. but were they monitoring you closely? Did your FS do anything different because of that? Mine. Oh. Yeah, yours, Tiff, just to compare, yeah. sort of. So, because our clinic operates out of a private hospital, I believe that they're like well aware of it. So, they give you a phone number um, to call and a fact sheet and symptoms and things. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's calls from the clinic as well just to check up. And did you receive anything like recovering. that? Did you get anything like that, Megan, or did you, did your fertility specialist reach out to contact you to see how you were going um, once he'd found out that you were in hospital? 
Well, my nurse called probably um, three days after I was admitted just to see how yeah, emotionally I was going and stuff like that because they didn't know because no one had called them. Um, and I was like, oh, the hospital's hand- handling it, so I didn't bother calling them. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I spoke to her, I said, oh, well, things aren't great. I'm in the hospital. I've got it, you know, and told him. And the first thing she said was, does he know? Does your specialist know? And I said, well, I've been telling them since I got here to please let him know, but I'm assuming if you don't know that he doesn't know either. Um, so she called him and told him. Um, and basically I was getting checked up on by my nurse um, and she was talking to him. So it was sort of going between the three of us. Mm-hmm. Wow. So there yeah. was sort of like a real lack of communication there between medical professionals as well. I feel like he should have been notified that one of his patients was in hospital. Yeah, when we had a, um, obviously I went before him after the fact um, because we, we had to organise to go back and do a um, frozen transfer. When I went back to see him, he apologised so much that it happened. And I'm like, look, like we can't, it was my first round, we can't predict these things are going to happen. Like, you're not God. Um, mm-hmm. Like, it's not your fault, don't feel bad. Um, you put me on a medium dose, like, what, what were we to do, sort of thing. But he felt so bad and he was not impressed that he wasn't notified um, by the hospital and I had requested them to let him know several times. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, so um, after you sort of, you know, recovered from your OHSS and, you know, you returned home, how long was it before you went back to see him again to start the process of a frozen transfer? Uh, So I didn't go back to see him until the end of March because Mm -hmm. it just took for ages for my lungs to even get back to normal and I didn't want to fall pregnant and have difficulty breathing. Um, So I wanted to give my body that time to fully recover make sure I felt well within myself Um, and also just the whole emotional side of things of being admitted to hospital. I'm not someone that's been in hospital a lot. Um, I've never had to ride an ambulance or go through an emergency department. All of that was very new to me. Um, So emotionally, I had to deal with that. Physically, I had to get better. So we went and saw him, yeah, probably in the March um, and we had our first frozen transfer done at the end of April. Yep, so was it um, a natural or medicated cycle that you were on? Uh, so, again, medicated because it has to be time to fit in with the clinic. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, I had to go on uh, progesterone and things like that. So the, what is it, quinone gel <laughs> and yep. things like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> all that fun stuff. Proganova, which is lovely. Yeah. Yeah. Did you have um, any side effects of that medication at all? So Proganova gave me horrible headaches, mm-hmm. horrible, horrible headaches. Um, the rest of the medication, I don't really feel like it did. I mean, there was always the lovely having to wear panty liners all the time and the, that normal stuff that, when you're dealing with that. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, as the side effects, I really feel like it was just, yeah, those severe headaches from the Proganova. Yeah. Um, so, uh, did you? So, all your eggs made it to five day, was it, or did they freeze them at three days or six days? When what what stage were these blasties at? So, the embryos were frozen at three days. Okay. Yep. Yep. Um. So, uh, 
you know, you did your, you did your medication in the lead up to the to transfer and how are you guys feeling on the day of the transfer considering this was your first one and sort of, you know, you're getting closer to having, you know, potentially being pregnant and having a baby. How did you guys feel? Um, we were we were excited um, because obviously it's, yeah, our first transfer. Um, my parents, it's a bit of a drive, so my parents came with us. I'm very close to them mm-hmm. uh, for the drive and we sort of made a day of it to try and distract a little bit as well. So afterwards we went and had lunch and things like that. Um, but going there, because uh, it takes about two hours to get there I was extremely nervous um, I was imagining every worst case scenario like I was going to be called somewhere on that two hour trip and told that you know we've you know defrosted them one at a time and they've you know not made the thaw or I've lost half of them or or you know don't bother coming anymore because I've lost them all or whatever the case um, I was just imagining the worst cases and I was trying to be calm and um, but yeah, since things have been so unpredictable and just you try so hard to be positive, but you don't want to build yourself up so high just to come crashing down from that height. Um, so I think I was very nervous and I feel like Nick, my husband, was the same. Um, just very nervous. My parents did a great job of just talking about normal things on the way there to try and distract us. I feel like that helped a lot to stop that train of thought. Mm-hmm. Yep, so you um, went in for the transfer, obviously, like, you know, which is super romantic. We all love it. Um, <laughs> that's all. Uh, yeah, so yep. it's a bit awkward. It, it is, I think we all know, we all know that. It's not the most elegant way of going about things. Mm-hmm. But um, he was great. My So my doctor actually did it. Uh, so mm-hmm. that was part of the reason we chose to go to the clinic that we go to is um, we are assured that we get him yeah. um, every time. So, yeah, he was great. He talked to me about the weather, about the traffic, um, <laughs> about everything other than what was currently happening. And then, yeah, once it was sort of done, pointed out on the screen, you know, that's where it is. And, um yeah, let us take a photo of the screen um, of the little speck that you can see. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, yeah, and we sort of just went about our day. It was, it was surprising to me how quick it was. I wasn't expecting it to be so quick. Yeah, it's like it's not even 15 minutes. You're in and you're out, really. It's, you know, it takes longer to go grocery shopping. So Yeah, 100%. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so how did you manage yourself in the two-week wait? Uh, so I said from the get-go and I said to Nick, I'm not going to be one of these girls that doesn't test at home. Willpower to them. I do not have that willpower. (laughs) Me either. (laughs) Uh, So I found online this guide as, you know, if you've had a three-day transfer or you've had a five-day transfer, when the best time to test at home are. Um, And, you know, obviously not to do it too early, um, to give things are time to actually start working and attaching and things like that. So um, I basically, that two weeks, I continued working, but my work was very aware of what was going on. And I basically, I think to a degree, I went over the top. I was like, I'm not lifting anything. I'm not doing this, that, and the other. I'm going on light duties. If you want me to process stock, that's fine, but you've got to, you know, lift the boxes for me. Um, 
because I'm not taking any risks. This is a lot of time, a lot of emotion, a lot of money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so I worked through it and tried to distract myself as much as I could. Um, but of course, you're always looking for signs of has it worked. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, like sore um, boobs and things like that. What was that? Like, were you looking for, you know, like sore breasts and, you know, maybe cramping or something like that? Is that what is that what you mean when you say you're looking for signs? Yeah. Yeah. So I was looking for, like, am I cramping? Am I more tired? Do I feel nauseous? And if I felt a little bit nauseous, I'm like, is that just because I ate something that didn't agree with me? Or is that because this is a baby? Or mm-hmm. you, I think I think everything while I did, I was like, oh, I've got a headache. Does that mean... That it's worse. Is that my hormone surging? (laughs) Yeah, I was looking at everything. Oh, am I going to the toilet more today? Is that because I'm pregnant or did I just have more water today? Yeah. (laughs) It's such a hard... um like psychologically I think someone needs to study it a bit more is the psychology in the two-week wait because I think, you know, like um, what's that when, you know, it's just like a psychological symptom, you know, like you're creating it in your head so your body's sort of reacting to it. So I think um, a lot of women, you know, tend to focus so much on um, the symptoms, like you said, and, and I mean, even if it does work, you're still so early pregnant that you're probably not likely to pick up on anything anyway, really. Um, so. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I need to study it. Yeah. A little bit more, I think, because that two week wait, it's like, I don't know about you guys, but I felt like a completely different person. I felt crazy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it kind of takes over your whole world. Like it, would, it did for me. It took, it took over my whole world and, like your mind just becomes a part, like you just keep thinking like, I mean, Tiff and I, we had this conversation a couple of weeks ago, basically about how you just start to imagine a life with that child, you know, that because it's already a child in your mind, you know, and you start to picture what you're going to do. And I, I start to look at baby stuff, which is just probably the worst thing I can do. But, you know, you start to sort of build this whole imaginary future for yourself. And it's just really hard to not do that because you are so hopeful and it's the closest you've ever been to being pregnant before. So why wouldn't you do that? Absolutely. And I was very much in the frame of mind as, oh, I don't want to be negative because I don't want to jinx it. I don't want anything to happen because I'm thinking, oh, you know, this may not work. So same thing. I was already looking at baby stuff, baby clothes, baby, like little items, not the huge big ticket items, but still looking at things and, oh, why don't I go for a walk around baby bunting that I've like avoided for all this time um, because it makes me depressed. But now let's go have a look and have a wander and getting, yeah, planning that life, getting excited, going, oh, what if this does work? Like in nine, ten months' time, we're going to be parents. Like this is crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, you do get very wrapped up in it and, you know, you're trying so hard to be positive but then not too positive. It's like this juggling act. It's so hard. <laughs> <laughs> Far um, so when did you start to test then? If you if you weren't going to be one of these women who don't test, when did you when did you start? Um, so I started testing uh, seven days after. Okay. Yep. And and how did you go with that? So the seventh day, uh, nothing. Um, and I was like, okay, let's be calm. Like, I tried to level my head out as much as I could, and I was like, it could just be too early. Um, I'll just test tomorrow. 
Um, and of course, then um, I had increasingly um, started to get up during the night to go to the toilet, which is another thing that I was like, oh, maybe I'm pregnant because that's happening, whereas normally that's not me. That's, I, I don't do that. Um, and I was like, oh, I'll just test tomorrow morning, right? But then I got up at like 3 a.m. to go to the toilet and I was like, oh, I'll just test now. <laughs> <laughs> It's the next day. It's after midnight. It's fine. <laughs> oh, so it sounds so logical so, to me. I completely understand that. <laughs> um, so that's what I did. I went to my 3am toilet visit and I was like, okay, I'll just do this. I'll just be on the seat and see what happens. And um, basically stood there just looking at it, looking at it, looking at it, going, come on. I am sick of seeing one line, like, come on. Please give me two lines. Finally, after you know six and a half years of God knows how many tests, just give me this extra line. Just come on. Um, and there was a squinter, mm. uh, just this little squinter. And I was like, Oh my God, is that right? I'm like moving the test in the light to make sure I can you know, see it better in certain lights. And is it actually there? <laughs> wow. Um, but it was there. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so, yeah, 3 a.m., I ran into the bedroom and I was like, Nick, Nick, go wake up, wake up, Nick. <laughs> and he's like, what? What's going on? Are you okay? Is everything all right? I'm like, yeah, we have to turn on the light and you have to look at this because I think I'm going crazy. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I passed him the test and I'm like, you have to really look. Like, put on your glasses. You have to really look at a squinter, but I think it's there. And he had a look and he's like, yeah, that, that's a line. Um, so we were so excited because we've never had that. Mm-hmm. I guess you guys didn't go back to sleep after that. <laughs> uh, no, I think we just like we just laid on the bed and I think we just started laughing. We were like, "Is this for real? Like, is this actually happening? Like, yeah. did this actually work?" Yeah. Um, we were very excited, and of course, then talking about like, okay, you know, let's not. You telling too many people, you know, it's very early days, let's wait and see if the blood test says, but of course I then tested AM and PM every day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> For the rest of the week. <laughs> <laughs> Making sure the line gets darker, comparing, lining them all up, taking photos, you know, the the, the routine. Oh, 100%. And then making sure that, you know, Working out that oh the progression daily doesn't matter it's every second day so then I'm lining up every second test. <laughs> <laughs> oh goodness me! Yeah. Um, but the line was getting um, darker, mm-hmm. um, and it was actually over the Mother's Day weekend. Yeah. Um, so we told our parents um, because they had been along with us um, through all of this. They were sort of um, with us through every step. So we told both lots of parents and we went out for Mother's Day dinner with our parents and we just sort of celebrated and thought this is great, Um, you know, great news. Nick's parents actually got me a little Mother's Day gift and card, um, which was beautiful. Um, But, yeah, we went and had the blood test done and for the beta. And um, it was, yeah, HCG was okay. Uh, progesterone was on the low end, but they just did the whole, we'll just test again in four days or three days, whatever it was. Um, so we went 
for the tests again three or four days later and um, unfortunately the HCG had dropped dramatically. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, they basically said stop everything and prepare yourself basically for a miscarriage. Yep. Um, how did you feel yeah. hearing that? We were absolutely devastated. Mm-hmm. Um, we were like, of course, like seriously, the first time we get a positive, you know, the first time we pee on that stick and it's got two lines, that, you know, that's the one that's not going to work. That's what's going to be in our brains forever. Like, mm-hmm. we thought we'd finally caught our break and that wasn't the case. Yeah. It's really tough. Yeah. It's really tough, especially when you've gone through all those years previously, you know, trying and not getting any results and being knocked back. Like the whole the whole journey to surmount to this or to, to that result yeah. is is really devastating. So yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It was um yeah, it was a very hard time. And then also the stopping the medication and you know, it's not like I suddenly realized I was I was having one, not that I'm saying that that would be any better, but mm-hmm. I had to sit and wait for it to happen. Mm-hmm. So I've got this wise baby in me and then they're telling me to sit down on the couch, take it easy and just wait for it to take its you know, natural course. Yeah. Yeah, and that's not that's not something that you sort of want to have to sit there like you can't just sit there on the couch and not think about it it's constantly in your mind again so yeah absolutely and then like obviously it takes a couple of days or everyone's different you know some people it's one day after stopping the meds it'll happen some some people it's four you know I think I was three Mm -hmm. um and basically every time you're going to the bathroom you're just like oh my god is this it is this it is this it and then when it finally does happen um uh, it was like grief all over again. It's like, you know, I'm saying to Nick, oh, my God, it's it's happening. Like, this is so depressing. Like, I know exactly what's happening yeah. to my body right now. And it was, yeah, like just grief all over again. Yeah. Yeah, I think, um, you know, it's kind of hard to describe, especially because, you know, you do know so much information, so you are so aware and, um, you know, I don't know whether that's a blessing or a curse in situations like this, to be honest. Yeah, absolutely. It's very, um, sometimes, yeah, I think it's helpful, um, but other times, yeah, sometimes knowing too much information, yeah, it, it just plays with your emotions even more, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um how long did you then wait, um, in, you know, from losing this little um, embryo to going back to see your fertility specialist? Uh, well, I was, I was quite angry and quite emotional for quite a while. Mm-hmm. Um, so, again, we had to time it in for when our clinic was working, like when they were on. Um, and so we decided to do the September cycle. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we basically did the same thing, same process, because our fertility specialist was was like, well, it worked. It just didn't stick. Mm-hmm. Um, so he didn't want to change anything. Uh, the only thing when we reviewed it, um, when we went back to him, was that 
I said to him, I had done some research on progesterone because I knew that that was quite low when the results came in with the HCG. Yeah. And um, obviously that like supports the pregnancy. And I said to him, could it have happened because the progesterone was low? And again, I think they, they never really know. They don't have all the answers. We don't always know why these things happen. But he said, look, it could have been a factor. Um, so basically he said to me, what I'm going to do is, oh, I said to him, I said, I have heard about this progesterone in oil um, that I had read about that is basically an injection into you to help rise your progesterone levels and support the pregnancy. And I said to him, is that an option for me? Is that overkill? Or like, what, what do you think? And he said, well, if your progesterone is low next time, it can't hurt. Um, if you're willing to try it, 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 it can't hurt the pregnancy. So um, he said, look, I'll write a script for it just in case we need it. Um, and we'll go from there and we'll just, yeah, we'll chat about it when this, if this comes up again and the progesterone is low again, um, then we'll talk about using the progesterone in oil at that stage. But at least you'll have the script to just go and get it straight away. So it's an intra- um, intramuscular injection, is it? Just to clarify. Uh, yes. So yeah. it has to go into it has to go into your thigh or your butt. <laughs> okay, great. Um, so he was happy to do that. Were you still doing the pesaries and prognova? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So exactly the same as what I was doing for the first one, um, and basically just had this script as a backup if I fell pregnant and the progesterone was low, that this was a backup to boost more progesterone to me. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so, yeah, I had the transfer done on the 22nd of September in 2018. Um, and going to that appointment, again, I'm running through all the worst-case scenarios of, you know, our embryos are thawing properly and all those same scenarios. My parents came again. We did the whole winter after again um, and just yeah, tried to distract us a little bit from it again. Um, that two-week wait was worse than the first one. Mm-hmm. Um, way worse um, because I was sort of negative Nancy at that time and I was like, oh, this isn't going to work. Uh, <laughs> it didn't work last time. It's not going to work. Um, and, you know, Nick was great and he was like, well, it did work last time. Like, we got the positive, um, but it just didn't stick. Like, be positive, it, it, it'll, it'll happen. Um, so he was great, but I just could not get my head out of that, yeah, what, then I'm going to get pregnant and then it's going to, you know, not happen again. Like, I really didn't want to set myself up for that fall again. Um, how were you finding the... Yeah, uh, the injections, the pres- uh, the progesterone injections. Well, once we got through the two week wait and we got the first, like we got the beta done, um, my HCG was higher than our first little MB, mm-hmm. um, but the progesterone was way, way, way lower than the first one, and so I freaked out. I was like, "This is even lower than the first one." Um, this is this is insane. Like we've got to get onto this. So I called my nurse back, um, and I was like, I've got this script from him. 
does he want me to go fill it? Because I don't think that level is great, considering that the first time, my for the first embryo, the progesterone was low still, but it was better than now. Um, do you, do you think I should fill this? And she goes, oh, so you've got the script. I said, yeah, I've got the script. And she's like, let me check with him and get back to you. So that's what she did. Um, so she got off the phone when checked with him. Um, Nick and I were already in the car heading to go get the script filled. Yeah. We were like, we're not taking any chances. Um, he said it can't do any harm. We're going to hedge up there. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so you weren't... We so you... were already on the way and I got the call back saying, yeah, he's told... He said, go and get it filled, go start doing it. Okay, so you weren't taking them um, initially until you got a positive beta. Is that right? That's correct. Okay, yeah. That's correct. So you first, do you remember what your levels were by any chance or? Uh, uh, 174 HCG. Mm-hmm. And progesterone 18. Yeah, okay, that is really low, isn't it? Um, yeah, it's supposed to be around thirty, I would say. Like depending on what time they're testing, obviously in in your cycle, but it's supposed to be quite high, like double that nearly. So yeah, um, yeah. Okay, and I think the first time when we um, lost the embryo, the first one, I think I was at twenty six then. Yeah. So knowing that I had been twenty six previously and lost it, um, and now I've got eighteen. Yeah, I yeah I lost my mind to be honest I was thinking oh god this is it again mm-hmm. um so yeah we went and got that filled and basically I had to stay on that um the plan was you if once you start this you stay on it for the first 13 to 14 weeks of the pregnancy until the placenta takes over wow okay yeah so how did you find yeah. those um injections uh so I was warned that it's quite a thick um, mixture and it can really hurt. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't find them too bad once I got used to them. The first few days, um, I got Nick to do them. So I did all my injections through this process myself. Um, but with the progesterone, because it went into my backside, I had to get him to do it. Um, and I found the first couple of times, whether it was because he was nervous, because he hadn't done needles before or injections before, um, whether he was nervous or whether I was nervous or I don't know, but the first few nights were rough. Um, but after that, it almost became like just routine mm-hmm. um, and they weren't too bad. I didn't feel any side effects from having that extra progesterone um, or anything like that. It didn't really affect me in any way. Okay, well, that's that's good. I mean you know, you don't really want that. You kind of want it to just sort of be absorbed by your body as best it can and sort of off your trot. So um, after your f- your second blood test, how were your levels and things like that looking then? Uh, really good. So mm-hmm. they did exactly what they wanted them to do. I think they were like 700 HCG. My progesterone had gone up a little bit. Um, I think it was now in the 30. Mm-hmm. Um but, yeah, obviously, um, we, I, I had to stay on them. He said, you have to stay on these injections. Um, just we don't want to take you off them and risk anything. Mm-hmm. Um, he's like, so if you're happy to keep doing them and keep paying the money, because they're not obviously cheap, nothing in this IVF world is. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
he's like, if you're happy to keep, you know, paying the money and you're happy to keep doing them, then please, like, keep doing them. That's what his recommendation was. Um, so, yeah, my levels have gone up on both. So I was really happy. I still wasn't excited. Um, I still felt like, you know, the carpet was going to be pulled from underneath me at some point. So, yeah, I found it very, very hard to get excited. Yeah. Um, so how did everything progress from that point onwards then? Um, so basically, um, just, yeah, I kept doing all the medications that they said and then we went for, obviously, you go and you have the first scan at about seven weeks or six, seven weeks and everything looked great um, and then just continued on. I was still working. As I said, I was just on light duties though. Um, my co-workers were great, picking up the slack and just really helping me out. So I just basically got on with life as best I could. I didn't buy anything baby-related. I didn't really look at anything baby-related until about 15 weeks mm-hmm. after um, the yeah after the shops were sort of done. And we didn't announce like on Facebook or social media until probably about 16 weeks. Yeah. Um, because, yeah, we were just really concerned um, about, yeah, about what was going to happen. But everything seemed to go smoothly. Like the 12-week scan and blood tests were fine. 20-week ones were fine. So everything was reasonably tracking along really well. Um, I did feel at some of the appointments, I don't know if um, people that have had success with IVF have felt this, but some of the appointments when you're pregnant, I sort of got treated like a leper in some aspect, mm-hmm. like your IVF, so we have to do this, we have to do that, and, you know, we have to induce you at 39 weeks. Um, and it was just like, you're meant to be a normal pregnancy, but I don't feel like you're always treated like that. Mm-hmm. I find information around the induction of IVF pregnancies really quite conflicting and, um, I mean, Tiff's probably better to talk about this because she's like a wealth of knowledge with this stuff. But I remember asking my obstetrician and he said it was ridiculous. Um, yeah, Tiff, go. My my understanding is a lot of the studies that have been done haven't taken into account the cause for the IVF, um, so if it's age, um, if there's a medical condition, like there's a lot of contributing factors obviously for someone to go through IVF. And so I think in like our cases it's mostly male infertility. Mm-hmm. Um, so does that make a difference? Like that's not something that was really looked at in these studies, so they can't definitively say mm-hmm. if it is. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So if it's male um, factor, then and the female body is sort of functioning uh, correctly or seems to be, then why does it really once it's in there, why does it make a difference? Mm-hmm. Well, technically, you should be on the same playing field as everybody else by that time, even though it, like you've said, it doesn't feel like you are. Um, you still mm. feel very different. Um, so, uh, like, if you don't mind me asking, what model of care did you choose to go through? For your pregnancy? Um, so, again, I didn't have a lot of knowledge about, you know, the models of care. They explained it to me on the spot. Um, and I was sort of like, well, 
you know, they didn't see me, they saw me at risk and an at-risk pregnancy because my BMI was over what they like to see on paper and I was IVF, so they had me down as at risk. Um, and I was like, well, I'm happy just to see, um, do shared care between the GP and the obstetrician. Mm-hmm. Um, so basically, oh, sorry, between the midwives and the obstetrician. So that's basically what I did. I was doing like every second appointment with the obstetrician and then the other one was the midwife. Mm-hmm. Um, but half the time when you went to the obstetrician appointment, you'd see the midwives as well anyway. Yeah. So, you know, just to sort of, you know, I suppose just ask a very obvious question. I feel like you've kind of already answered it, but like how do you feel like going through IVF treatment and fertility treatment um, changed or, you know, impacted your pregnancy and your approach to, to perinatal care? Um, well, I think it, it made me more, more aware. And again, I was researching everything, but everything they brought up that would be, um, possible that may happen. So like the thing I was told personally was, we're not going to let you go past 39 weeks. We're going to induce you at 39 weeks. Um, because it's shown that in IVF pregnancies, the placenta doesn't manage well after that. Mm-hmm. And I was sort of like, Really? Um, so I did a lot of research into that. And again, um, like what Tiff said, the, the research that I did, it wasn't, it wasn't very good. They didn't take a lot of things into consideration. Um, you know, my placenta had more support in that it had so much progesterone and stuff in my body, um, helping everything. Like, would that not put me in a better situation with Mm -hmm. the placenta or... Do you know what I mean? Like, I, I was very conflicting. I was very confused reading all the research, but they were adamant they would not let me go past 39 weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess going through the IVF process, it has made me, I guess, with everything um, and with my care during the pregnancy, question everything, research everything. Um, you know, if they brought up that something may happen, they brought up premature birth at one point. Mm-hmm that that was a possibility um, because of, you know, your placenta might fail because you're IVF. Um, and I'm just like, why? Like, like, why? And other friends that had done IVF were not being told this. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, how did you feel um, with your, like, levels of anxiety and things like that while you were pregnant? Did you sort of, you know, any sort of niggles sort of, set you off or were you sort of once you sort of hit the 20 week mark were you a bit calmer how did you feel uh so yeah that first initial three months obviously we're all pretty nervous um so I, I was very nervous and very apprehensive and um but once I started to feel her move um I I think have a few weeks there where I was really calm in between getting past those first three months and um, her not moving, like she hadn't st- or hadn't started feeling her yet. I had a few weeks there where I was really calm, but then the minute she started moving and I was aware of those movements, I was hyper aware of them. Mm-hmm. Um, I was like making sure, like, oh, I could feel her move, you know, and was her were her patterns right for her? And because they obviously drill that into everyone when you're pregnant as well, that you know, know your baby's movements. And I was like studying them, like obsessively. Mm-hmm. 
Um, it made me very anxious. There was just so much riding on this. Yeah. Um, that I was, yeah, just every day I was, okay, has she moved today? Like, what is she doing? Hey, she normally moves at this time. Why isn't she moving now? I'd poke and try and get her to move if she hadn't. Do all the tricks I could think of to get her to move. And I'm like, okay, if you don't move by this time, I'm going to the hospital, like, sort of talking to her. Yeah. <laughs> um, because I was very anxious once her movement started. Yeah. Um. um Yep, so how, how do you feel um, that IVF impacted your relationships? So, like, your, you know, intimate relationships and your friendships. I know you said on your questionnaire that, you know, the relationship with your parents has been amazing and they've been super supportive. Um, would you like to just sort of give us a little bit of an insight into your, your relationships around that time? Uh, yeah, so I feel like with Nick and I, um, as a couple, we really banded together um, and we, we've we done that with basically everything in life since we've been together. We seem to, in a crisis or, you know, when something's not going right, we, we do we do stick together and it was the same with IVF. Um, we just took each step like as we could. We tried not to look too far but then also had plans like A, B, C or if it didn't work. Mm-hmm. Um, and we didn't want to feel hopeless and that we had no sort of control. Um, and that's the thing when I get negative, because I do, I overthink or I'm like, well, I'm a realist and this could happen, <laughs> you know. Um, he's like, no, but what if this happens? And he'll put some more like positive spin on it. Um, so through that, that whole journey, he was amazing because every time I was negative, he was positive. And he was trying to just support me the best that he could. And I was doing the same for him. I was like, do you need anything? But he was like, no, I just need you to be okay. Like, I just need you to be in this and positive. And, yeah, we really, our relationship really, really took sort of on another dimension during that. Um, With my parents, they were fantastic. They asked questions. They wanted to know, you know, because they knew we were pretty open about it. They wanted to know what, like, the different terminologies were. Um, they met our fertility specialist, you know, um, and they were just so supportive throughout the whole entire thing. It was like, anything you need, we're here, like, for absolutely anything. And Nick's parents were the same. Um, they were very supportive and checking in and wanting to know all the steps sort of thing along the way. Mm-hmm. I feel like with friends, it it. Just, I didn't expect it to affect the friendships as much as it did. Mm-hmm. How um, how did it impact I, your friendships? What was that saying? How how did it affect them? Your friendships. So, I had friends who had to go through the process, the IVF process, and I thought um, they would be so supportive and. At the time, I felt like they were. In the moment, I felt like they were. But in hindsight, since then, um, I don't think. I think they were helping me um, stay in that negative space because they were sort of like agreeing with me. And, oh yeah, what if this happens? And it wasn't overly helpful to my mental health during that time because um, I was doubting myself en- enough. I was doubting the process enough that then to have these other people who are going through it as well, and you want to support each other. But then they're saying the same thing. Yeah, what if that does happen? Or they're bringing in new fears. Um, it wasn't overly helpful. 
Um, and then the friends that hadn't gone through it or didn't have to go through the process, they didn't know what to say. And that was the biggest thing. They, they don't know what to say. They don't want to overstep and upset you. So, um, you know, I actually lost a friendship for 10 months. Um, we were very close and I actually ended up losing that friendship because she didn't know what to say. She falls pregnant quite easily. Um, and when I was going through all this, and obviously we know it takes over your life, she thought the best thing to do was to step back and mm-hmm. not say anything at all. And then I took that as, you're not interested, you don't care. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the biggest thing. I think people don't know how to talk about it, react when someone they love is going through it. Mm-hmm. You know, I've been you know, friends with that girl again and we've spoken about it and it, it was very much that. She thought she was doing the right thing, giving me space to go into this IVF world and get my baby to just do what you have to do to get what you wanted to be happy. Um, you know, she thought she was doing the right thing and I just felt, felt abandoned. Um, and, yeah, it's, I think there needs to be a lot more education around that and, and around supporting friends and family with how to support a loved one going through this. You know, what's okay to say? Um, and sometimes there's never the right thing to say. Sometimes a hug or just saying, I'm here, is all you need. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I really didn't expect it to affect the, the friendships that it did. So just building on that, like what would you recommend for people to do or say to support um, someone going through fertility treatment then? Just let the person know that you're there, that basically you're there for anything, very much like what my parents did, you know, we're here whenever you need us sort of thing and show interest. Um, Educate yourself a little bit. You don't have to go and know the ins and outs or anything like that. Or if your friend is quite open about it, like I was, ask questions. Mm-hmm. Show an interest. Um, then it's not such a taboo topic. Um, and, you know, I felt like at times I was playing this game that no one around me else was playing um, and I was on my own. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and basically no one wanted to know about it. Um, so I think just letting people know that you are there. Um, Things like, you know, I got told by other friends, oh, you know, you're doing IVF, you'll definitely get a baby now. Mm-hmm. Like, that's not helpful. Um, that doesn't always happen. <laughs> and I think there needs to be education around that, that just because someone does IVF or IUI or whatever fertility treatment does not mean that they will get a baby at the end of it. Mm-hmm. It's sad, but it's reality. That's, you can't say to someone, oh, you'll definitely get a baby now. Mm-hmm. Um, so what would be some of the worst advice or comments that you've received throughout this journey? Uh, just relax or get drunk and that works. Um, stop trying so hard. Yeah. Go on a holiday. It seems to um, be you're thinking quite of, You're overthinking it. You're thinking about too much, so stop thinking about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thanks for that. <laughs> yeah. And the drunk thing, thanks. You know, we didn't already think of that. Yeah, or we hadn't already tried it at least a few times, you know. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Oh, man. Um, Yeah, I don't feel like they are helpful comments um, at all. Mm -hmm. Um, Telling someone to just relax or, you know, stop thinking about it or 
Um, and obviously the comparison comments like, oh, my sister's brother's friend, um, mm-hmm. you know, tried for 15 years and then fell naturally. Yeah. It's like that's not helpful either because, again, that is amazing, but it doesn't happen for everybody. No. No. I, and I think people don't understand either when they say things like that what might be the contributing factor for your infertility and some aspects of infertility just make it impossible to fall pregnant naturally and people don't understand that um so saying something like just relax or you know get drunk and things like that or don't think about it and what happen um is just really dismissive and i think it kind of highlights like you said the lack of awareness around this um around infertility and fertility treatment in general um that people just you know can make really flippant comments like that and just not think about it It, it's really um confronting i find yeah absolutely and yeah it's that borderline of just they don't know what to say and then on the other hand they feel like they have to say something you don't always have to have some big speech or thing you're going to say. You could just say, you know, that sounds like it sucks and I'm here for you. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, I'm here if you need me. Like, it doesn't have to be some, you know, philosophical thing. <laughs> like, try this, do this, you know, take these herbs, take this. Like, it's, yeah. Um, you know, even since I've had, you know, we've been lucky and worked for us, even since I've had our daughter, um, I've had comments such as, oh, well, you know, you're most fertile after you've been pregnant, so now you'll get and you'll get a sibling easy. <sighs> um, yeah, mm. just because I had a baby doesn't affect my husband's sperm. Yeah. Why? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it doesn't work like that, guys. Yeah. And these are people that know, like, it's on the male side of things, so it's not to do with my body in our situation. Mm-hmm. Um, so me being more fertile after having a child, then, yeah, that's great, but, you know, we've still got one part that's not completely working. Mm-hmm. Um, and that isn't going to suddenly change because we have one, two, three, four, well, however many kids we're lucky enough to have, it's not going to suddenly change. It's just going to probably decline yeah. as he gets older. Yeah. Um, how do you feel um, since having your daughter, like... You know, Tiff and I have discussed it and I discussed it in our podcast, just how we feel like it's impacted, going through fertility treatment has impacted our approach to parenting. Um, how do you feel? Do you feel like uh, fertility treatment has impacted your approach to parenting your daughter at all or you sort of just, it's, it's a distant sort of memory and you don't really think about it anymore? Uh, no, it's very much in my mind all the time because we obviously want to give her a sibling if we're lucky enough. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's always in my mind as to when is the perfect time to go back. Um, and on that, the whole parenting side of things, you know, we decided we wanted at least her first two years just to be the three of us because we had tried for so long that we would wait two years to have those two precious years with her on her own Mm -hmm. to enjoy parenting like sort of like one-on-one with her, not having to worry about another little newborn. That was just a choice that we had made. Mm-hmm. Um, so that sort of, yeah, that's affected our decision-making into when we go back and try for another one. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also impacted, I mean, other, other factors too, but going through IVF 
I want to try and savor every single second I have with her. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm very aware this doesn't work for everybody. I have people I know that it hasn't worked for and they've been trying for 15 years. Um, and it breaks my heart. So I want to enjoy every second I've got with her because I'm so lucky. Um, and, you know, lucky is, I guess, bad terminology with what we all have to go through. But I would rather, you know, go through it and get something at the end of it than nothing. And that is why I'm lucky. Yeah. Um, so I feel like it's made me more aware. But then on the other side of things too, because I want to enjoy every moment with her because I'm lucky, I then feel bad if I do get overwhelmed as a mum or I have my moments where I'm like, oh, my God, it's just too much. Like, what's, what's wrong? I can't fix it. You can't tell me. And I'm getting frustrated. I'm like, so like no, you should be enjoying this because you could have never had this. Yep. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I do. Um, <laughs> yeah, I really do. It's, it's hard because you've got that cycle and that pressure that you put on yourself because, like you said, people – some people attain, you know, and, and ache for the, for what we've got and you don't want to seem ungrateful, um, particularly after all the hard work you guys have put in. Um, you know, it's something that is very conflicting and can lead to, you know, other things take you know occurring. So, like, I you know in, in my instance, it I feel like it kind of led to me getting postnatal. Um, you know, other women might find that they're more anxious and things like that. Um, it's just... A thing I don't think I expected it to impact as much as it has and change my approach to parenting, and I think that's sort of why we asked that question because we're quite curious about it, about how it's impacted everyone else's approach as well. So it's really interesting to hear that you're sort of in the same mind mindset as that as well. So um, thanks for you know chatting about that. Yeah, absolutely, and you know on the postnatal thing too. I, I got that as well. Mm-hmm. So um, they do say, obviously, it's more common after IVF as well. Yep. Um, so they were already saying to me to watch out for it. Also, our little one was born a little bit early um, and had hospital care. Mm-hmm. Um, so that sort of added to things as well. Um, the last few weeks didn't go very well in the pregnancy. Mm-hmm. Um, so that added to things as well. And, yeah, it just... Yeah, that's okay, but we don't let it be okay to have these things. Like, I was like, why am I depressed? I finally got what I've been wanting all this time. Mm-hmm. And I was getting angry with myself um, because I was like, stop being so upset and, you know, anxious and worried and just enjoy her. Yeah. Um, you know, people are still working so hard for this. And, you know, you don't know if it's going to be, you know, if you don't know if you're going to get this experience again. Yeah. This could be the one and only time you get this experience, so you need to enjoy it. Mm-hmm. And when you don't, yeah, you feel bad. Yeah, <laughs> you really do. And I don't think like that stops yeah. either. The older, like the older they get, like you still sort of think that at times as well. So, um, basically, um, if there's anything that you would say to yourself at the beginning of treatment, what would it be? So, like, right at the very start of all of this, if you could go back and talk to yourself, what would you say to yourself? Um, Trust your gut and that you're right. You felt like something was wrong and there was something wrong. Mm -hmm. And just, yeah, you're going to have to fight for yourself, so you might as well start now. Yep. Lovely. Tiff, is there anything else that you feel like we haven't covered? 
Yeah, so I was just going to ask, like you mentioned you were working in childcare, did that, like how were you feeling while you were trying and working with children? Yeah. Did that have any effects on you? Uh, absolutely. <laughs> um, yeah. I would come home. So I did a little bit of long daycare as a little kid. Mm-hmm. Um, and I obviously had to do that to get my qualification. Like the placement was um, highly focused in little kids. Um, mm-hmm. And it was a struggle. I would come home a lot crying because I, why, why can't that be us? Why can't that be us? Um, especially if, you know, I would see how parents would interact with their children. And sometimes it was not the greatest. And you're standing there going, I would kill for that. I would, I would absolutely kill for what you've got. Um, and, you know, kids would tell you stories because then I ended up working in before and after school care. I moved out of the Little East hoping that it would sort of help with my mental health a bit um, while we were sort of sorting things out if I wasn't around babies. Um, so I went into before and after school care. And it was just as bad because then they can talk to you and they tell you about everything that happens at home and everything. And I'm just like, oh, how I wish I could just, you know, give these kids the home that, you know, they deserve from what you're hearing. Um, and it would break my heart. And again, it would be, why can't we have a kid? Like, why can't we, why can't we do this? Um, so that's why um, essentially when we started going into the IVF route, I moved completely out of that sector altogether. And went into retail. Yeah, yeah. That's a really good question. I've always too. like, yeah. yeah. I've always wondered because, like, I know just like taking care of friends' kids and stuff while we were going through it was a little bit difficult, and mm-hmm. to have to do that every day, I can't imagine. Yeah. The yeah. 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 Um, yeah. It's um. It's 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 yeah. It's it's really hard and. Anyone that is doing treatment or, you know, is even trying to actively fall pregnant and it's not working and they haven't even got to the whole fertility treatment side of things, it's hard. It is so hard, um, <laughs> especially when it comes to that time of the month and you have to go to work yeah. and you have to hold the babies and hush the babies and rock them to sleep and feed them and you feed them their bottles and just cuddle them and you know, write about all the amazing things that they're doing or developing, you know, for their parents. And, yeah, the whole time you're just thinking, why, why, why can't this be me? Why, why, can't, why can't these kids, like, be mine? Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's very, very, very hard. And then it makes it even harder to turn off. Thank you so much for joining us today, Megan. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. so much for joining us today we hope you enjoyed this episode if you like listening to the podcast and would like to share your story we will pop the link in the show notes be sure to hit subscribe so when we release new episodes it lands straight into your listen now if you could also leave us a review for the show that would be so appreciated no words are needed just stars If you're on the Apple app, scroll down to the bottom of the podcast page and tap to rate. This makes a massive difference to our show's visibility and helps us to get our show out and about to others experiencing fertility treatment. IVF Tales is an independent production made by Amy and I. Music is by Volet Gilyshenko. You can listen to us wherever you get your podcasts.